Hello and welcome back to episode two of the Thrive Physio podcast with me, Liam Bill. And me, Matt McDermott. For today's podcast, we've invited Reading Football Club's first team physio, Ramon Holland, uh, as our special guest. Stay tuned for a different pathway into sports, uh, a look on the role of mentors, reflection and much more. Welcome to Ramon Holland to the podcast. Ray is currently a first team physiotherapist at Reading Football Club and he's going to talk to us today about his journey through sport, some of the different environments he's worked in in the footballing world and a little bit about where he's come from since his education. He's done a BSc in sports therapy and an MSc in physiotherapy. So without further ado, I'll uh, I'll stop talking and hand over to Ray. Welcome, Ray. Thank you very much. Um... Pleasure, obviously, to be on the podcast with you guys. What you're doing is a is a valuable thing. I think something that I would have uh, valued from going through my education. So um, fair play to you guys for setting this up, and hopefully it's a, a good success for you. Um, like you said, yeah, my name is Ray Holland. Um, I'm currently employed as a first team physiotherapist at Reading Football Club. Um, my most of my most of my experience has been in football, um, so that's probably where my bias lays. Um, and predominantly lower limb just through the nature of the sport so I think it's quite important to highlight that just before we go on just to sort of set out where where sort of my experiences have predominantly come from and then just sort of throughout this I think I'll probably mention a few names through the podcast and I won't have any regrets for doing that because I think without them names then I wouldn't be where I am today and they're, they're important people in the journey that I've gone through so yeah definitely Nice. I know that's that's something we've spoken about before, isn't it? About having sort of those key figures or almost an honest friend, if you like, that you can you can sort of rely on at times. And I think they're uh, they're really important in the journey. So it'll be great to great to hear about those and discuss those. I think yeah, we. All... I think I think. Sorry, I was just going to say. I think sorry. I've been quite fortunate in my journey. Just to every when I reflect back on it, every sort of step I've had, I've I've found myself with that sort of person alongside me, and and I think that is that is important to to help you progress in your career from start of your education all the way through to the end of your career, I think. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, I think we'll, we'll start off. We'll definitely touch on that a few different points. I think the way that this chat will go this morning, hopefully, but we'll start off with um, some of our key questions. So I'll invite, invite Matt into the pod to, to fire a few of those at you early, if that's all right. And then we'll, we'll, we'll move on from there. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much indeed for, for coming on, Ray. Um, no problem. As Liam said, we've got a, a few key questions that we ask all of our, our guests on the podcast, just getting their experiences and insights. The first of those is looking to see if you can share your one key recommendation or piece of advice for getting a job in sport. Yeah, um, I, I think the obvious answer to that would be to get experience and, and get experience on, in every sort of aspect of your of your journey. Um, I think that's quite an obvious one to, to sort of highlight, first of all. But without that, you, you don't really get onto the ladder. My, my experiences came through probably predominantly through a sandwich year on my BSc. And I think without that, I wouldn't have definitely got my first job in sport and I definitely wouldn't have continued in the way I was going. Um, but alongside that, I think you also need to have a desire to generally want to work in sport. 
it's a very unique environment. It's, the demands are very hard. Um, and if you don't have that true desire, then you soon will start not regretting. You might just start questioning whether you've gone on the right journey. And, and that will might be a good thing. It might take you off the pathway quicker than, than you need to be. But I think you need to have that desire to actually take that first step into sport. Um, and then I guess the, the last point for me would be to don't chase the glamour. I think you've got to start low to then grow into a, into a role. Um, a, a moment stands out for me on my undergrad. Joel Harris, who, who now works with the England senior team he, at the time, he just finished working with Arsenal. He, um, he did a presentation about working for sports teams. Uh, this is on the sports therapy program at Hearts Uni. And he, he put up a picture of the, the treble winning team celebrating, no, sorry, the unbeatable team celebrating in the changing rooms and all these nice pictures of them with champagne and partying. And then he turned the camera around and there was the, the physios and the sports therapists tidying up and packing away and, and doing the bits that people don't see behind the camera. And I think if you are chasing the glamour, then, then sport's probably not for you initially. Um, it is, it, you, you've got to start low. And, and that might take you onto a nice journey where you do get to celebrate, but it's, you need to have that want, want to be in the, in the profession first and foremost, I think. Could completely agree. And I think that they, those three tie in quite nicely in the sense that uh, when, when we've gone and talked before, uh, a question that we can guarantee will come up is how do we get experience? Where do we get experience? Can we come on placement with you? Um, and it's just a sense that I guess experience doesn't have to be all sport specific. Sport specific experience is brilliant uh, and really useful, but there's a number of those you can get it from as orthopedic, MSK, uh, the sports psychology above and beyond. And then to touch on that second point you said about the desire, if, if the, the desire is truly there, then you will not struggle to find opportunities you'll not struggle to find ways of getting that experience whereas if it's half-hearted and you're looking for it to be passed to you that's when i think people do struggle to find these opportunities um to to, to sort of get on the ladder so yeah, complete agreement and i like how they all tie in together yeah i think i think the the experience one's interesting because we're, we're currently living in a world whereby people want to do a lot of lot of things it costs money it's it's glamorous when actually most people's first experiences are will be unpaid and that has taken a bit of a battering in recent sort of recent years for being obviously some unlawful in some cases but getting unpaid experience when you're going through your training program which isn't unlawful which which allows you to develop your skills in practical settings that you're learning is invaluable and there's many clubs many facilities that will snap your hand off if you offer free services to them and, and that can only develop your own CV as well. I think off, off the back of that as well, you can't be narrow-sighted narrow in the sense that if your ambition is football, if your ambition is athletics, turning down experience in a separate field, um, multi-sport experience is 100% invaluable, even if you have no... Uh, no, no desire to sort of pursue a career in that exact area those transferable skills the, the experiences you pick up can't be can't be knocked back at all um and they're, they're, sometimes the opportunities are harder to come by so certainly not not turning down experience for lack of it 
fitting into your your sporting uh, preference. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so, moving on to our next key question now, what uh, what piece of advice would you give to yourself as a student? So, just starting out at university, of all the the wisdom and experience that you've gained, what one piece of advice would you give to to student Ray? Um, I, th- I think having done a BSc and also an MSc, I think the two pieces of advice would probably differ for both. I think doing the doing the BSc program as a sports therapist, you you just you're starting out on a on a journey. You need to be a sponge. You need to pick up as many skills, techniques, handling skills, communication skills, everything that you can get your hands on, and you need to develop a a, a catalogue of hands-on skills and interpersonal skills to to get that I don't really know what the word is but to have a basis for you to and the fundamentals to then develop on um, is I think that's where you're really learning the skills and, and you don't ask too many questions at that stage I found and I think that's not necessarily a bad thing because you need to have a broad spectrum of understanding before you can then narrow down I think if you start too narrow in your in your beliefs then you you don't have anywhere to go with that if you start wide you can then narrow down once you develop skills um and i think on your bsc looking back on it you've got to have fun as well along the way because that is probably the only opportunity you will have to to do that on the journey and also learn i think it's underestimated how much you need to enjoy your time to actually develop as well as a as a professional and i think if you don't have that fun element it can get too much for a lot of people off the off the back of that as well um do you, do, you, do you feel that sort of going from the sports therapy undergrads into the, the physio masters sort of changed the way you approach it to, to sort of give that a bit of context? Um, Liam and I took similar rates uh, and there's a couple of others in the cohort that did as well. Um, and there are sort of two sides to, to those sports therapists. There were the side that thought because of their sports therapy uh, grounding that they knew better than a lecturer that they were better than their their colleagues and they weren't as receptive to information and then there are those that took that sports therapy experience as a grounding as a foundation but were completely open to uh, developing completely open to understanding um I'm just wondering sort of what your thoughts on that were and how how it kind of uh, shaped you going into the into the masters yeah um without doubt i think having the the bsc sports therapy program going into the msc pre-reg at university of essex was invaluable you 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 notice on the first probably the first session of the msk module that you you do on the msc program you're miles ahead of people that have never touched a patient before in their life people that have done biomedical science you're so far ahead and and like you rightly say you could probably take that in two directions you could either utilize that to help others and and ground your own learning and development or you can take that and see yourself as be above and beyond what they're trying to teach you um but i think for me the the msc was really about asking why i was doing things um it opened my eyes massively to okay i I know the skills i know how to apply them but but why am i doing it what is it that i'm trying to achieve by applying this test what is it i'm trying to achieve by doing this tech what what is it i'm actually wanting to get out of doing this and and you're not going to be spoon-fed answers on the msc program 
and it's sort of it sets you up for your career and your later jobs because there's not people there that are going to tell you how to do it and you need to go out and find the answer to yourself and I think if you going back to your point if you then start putting yourself above these lecturers who have got years of experience above you no matter how many years you've had these lecturers are there for a reason and you've got to utilize them positively if you start dismissing some of their opinions their opinions might not sit with you but you've got to question that why and then and then back that up with why i think that that concept of asking why as well is is 100 relevant to your whole career as, as you mentioned sort of 20 25 years down the line where it's quite easy to get comfortable in our ways quite easy to uh, lose track of updates in the evidence base and just continue because that's all always where it's been done that's the way it was taught uh, that's what it's worked before why wouldn't it work again um, but it's completely against the sort of the principles that underpin the profession so I think that that, that questioning that asking why uh, vital throughout the career as, as, as you mentioned there yeah I'd I, think, say, I think sorry then go on, go on. I, I was just saying something from from what you're saying is in on the BSC we had like a module on like K-taping and taping techniques and stuff. And like I say, I wouldn't have questioned it at all. I'd happily go and use it. And you come into the MSC and it makes you look back and go, why? And as long as you can go, okay, fine. I, I did that. I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. I got taught it. I was, I was happy to go along with it, but now I can question it and I can realize where that fits into my practice. That was the, the biggest thing I took from the MSC as well. It was that, okay, this is this is what I have done. This is what I am doing now. I'm going to think about why I'm doing it, and I can hone that into the right direction. And even if you don't have a luxury like we've had of going from BSc to MSc, just applying that skill just throughout your career onwards, no matter what your pathway is, is is so important. Like you say. Perfect. So. Um similar nature to the, to the last question looking about advice for our previous selves but hopefully relevant to our listeners uh, what one piece of advice would you give uh, to yourself who just started uh, your first major sporting role so first day on the job what one piece of advice would you have so i guess it's important to just to outline my pathway really just so people have a sort of an understanding as to my first role in sport my first role in sport was as a on in a sandwich year um, on my bsc at mk dons which i sort of pursued to make my year my, my bsc four years um but if we're looking at my first role upon graduation i i was fortunate enough to get a role as sort of the the only medical personnel for a um football academy Stevenage football club they were transitioning at the time from a center of excellence into an academy um, and I turned up on day one and asked where things were having been to the interview asked where things were and my my physio room was shared was the staff office it was the canteen it was it was a porter cabin and it had nothing it had a bed um, and it was an eye-opener because you, I went from a professional football environment with the first team traveling in league one to that but i guess my advice going into that stevenage fc role would be not to be so hard on yourself you you are that's your first time you're working as a in my experience solo practitioner with help where needed through the first team but you you sometimes reflecting back on it i think 
at times I, I questioned why I was doing things and was probably quite hard on myself when really I was doing the best I could in that environment and with what the skills I had. Um, yes, push for high standards and, and try to improve and, and, and get better, but don't be so hard on yourself because it is, it is all new to you and you are going to get develop and you are going to get better. And there are people out there that will help you along that way. Um, and yeah, for me, I had um, a very good practitioner who was also a sports therapist in the first team who helped me along that journey. And by the time I left Stevenage, the, I managed to get a team that there was about, I think, three full-time academy medical staff and then six part-time and, and the, it really grew. And that was in part to, to some of the people I worked with. I guess as well, if, if that desire was not there at that stage, that could have been a turning point, uh, a transition to a different side of physiotherapy and a very easy opportunity to, to leave the pathway. Um, but obviously getting through it, reflecting back has, has put you in an absolutely fantastic position. Um, so that the, the roles and responsibilities, as, as you say, don't change depending on the setup, the equipment, uh, who's around you. It's just the delivery of that is different. So you deliver to, to the best of, of what you have available. Um, and, and that's not, not easy to do, particularly when you're, when you're starting out. Um, it's, it's obviously not nice to have these discussions in, in reflection, but imagine was, was, was pretty tricky at the time. Yeah, and I think also, when you st- like I said at the beginning, if you start low to grow, you've got so much uh, room for improvement and there's lots of places you can take that. And it, it allows a sort of a basis for you to develop your own practice. Um, you, you've got to think outside the box. You you need to utilize space where you can. You need to get the best result out of what you can give the player or person. Um, obviously, you, you there's times when you do need certain uh, equipment or resources, but you can source them. You can use universities. You can use other clubs. Other clubs are actually willing to help out people. And I think sometimes people feel quite isolated when they are solo practitioners, but actually the wider community and people will help you out. If we were to, to fast forward uh, uh, to later in your career um, in terms of knowing or, or what was the trigger for you to sort of transition into first team football? Was it a case of uh, feeling clinically ready um feeling uh that, that you were ha- happy to go into that role was it a case of opportunity was it a mixture of factors what what made you sort of know that that was the right decision for the time yeah tricky question um i think my desire to learn has always driven my career change and career choice so the reason I transitioned from BSc to MSc physiotherapy was to continue my learning and development and to expand my options of career choice. The reason I took the change from academy to first team was because I felt like I still wanted to learn more. And as people that have worked in both will know that the role, despite the fundamentals and the basics being very similar, the way that you deliver them, the, the, pathologies you encounter the way the management goes is very different and I felt like I was ready to sort of continue my learning um I th- I, there's obviously lots of different factors you need to consider into that and I am, I've always been happy being sort of a small fish and being able to learn off people that have got years of experience ahead of me and 
you, I'm fortunate in my role in Reading, both in the academy and with the first team, that we've got large numbers of staff. So you can bounce ideas off people that have got experience in other areas. And my current boss, Matt Hirons, is is very experienced and, and he has some great pearls of knowledge that I'm learning from every day. And hopefully being able to sort of transform my practice and the way I work. And yeah, I think that's probably the main reason I, I took that step at that time. I worked in the academy for four years, um, got to a point whereby I'd seen lots of start, good staff come and go. Um, and wanted to really focus on myself a bit and try and develop my own my own practice. Well, um, you said you said like, obviously there's there's differences from working academy and and first team. What what would you say the sort of main differences you've noticed are just over this sort of short period in the transition? Yeah, the thing that has hit me quite significantly would be I've I've been qualified in a sort of therapist role since 2010 and that's what what we now 10 years of experience of working in yeah. football and I'm going into a first team environment where there's people there that have been professional sports people for 20 15 20 years and I'm new into a first team environment and I think it would be very inappropriate of me to then start imparting my thoughts on them without listening to their experiences and I think in the academy setting they're starting off their career they're very influential they're very plastic you can form their opinions you can change their pathway quite significantly when you're working with senior players that know how things work for them they know what's best for them they can still be influenced and they still need to be educated like anyone does but I think you need to appreciate their their experiences as well and we always talk about a biopsychosocial model and putting the person at the center of the therapy and I think that's vitally important through not just working in the NHS or in private practice, but also in football. And they that's been probably the biggest surprise to me. There's You're working with adults, you're working with people with lots of psychosocial factors. They've got families, they've got their own factors that are influencing their injuries, whereas those factors may be not as, as prevalent in the young player, but then there's different factors. So it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's a tough question. Um, I think for me that would be the biggest influence or biggest uh, surprise for me. Would you say it was sort of a, a daunting change at first for those that sort of are looking to make that change from academy to first team? Obviously, you've had previous experience in those first team environments that I imagine helped you take a few experiences from that. But making that sort of big change recently, yeah, was that was that daunting? Did you have to sort of change the way you're uh, you approached it as a physio much? Um, yeah I, I think you do I think in any line of work if you're taking up a new role you don't want to go in and start rocking the boat you don't want to go and start influencing too much you need to see how things run and for me it, it was daunting yeah of course it was daunting and I like you say I previously worked in first team football so I think that set me up with the the interpersonal skills and the communication skills which I knew that you needed and it set me up for the pressures that I was going to be faced with and it probably set me up with the expectations of practitioners um, so I was in quite a good stead for that because the last time I was working in a first environment I was a student so I had that to fall back on I had people that would take the responsibility when things weren't going right or when things needed to be changed whereas when you go into this environment and yes you still have at lead lead physio and you still have a team to to work with but if you get things wrong or you things aren't going the way the 
people expect them to, then you've got a bit more accountability. Um, but I think I've, yeah, I was daunted. Of course I was. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's good to hear that. Honestly, I think if we were all honest, probably any role you go into, you, you, you get that to start with. And like you say, it's, I definitely think don't not going into not going into rock the boat. Find your feet. You're going to put yourself across as a as a physio naturally anyway. It's just finding the right timing to do that. Finding the right ways to do that. Understand the environment and knowing that that bit of fear in you is probably a good thing. It's sort of big. We're both big believers believers of that. That you know, on the other side of a bit of fear is is always a good thing. But it's very natural. It means you probably care and you're considering that environment that you're going into. You're not just walking in blase thinking you've got the place because that's when you you're probably going to fall down. Yeah, you you've got you've got into that role for a reason. You know, like your journey is taking you to that point. Whether that's your first role or whether that's your last role, your journey has got you to that point, and that's there's a reason for that. And you've there's a reason you are you placed in that unique environment um and I sometimes like you say, it goes back to my point you're sometimes harsh on yourself and actually you do know things even if sometimes it feels like other people know more but that's okay i think um it's pretty important albeit challenging to touch on this next point um in terms of making the impossible comparison to an nhs pathway um sort of the band five the band six leap is is quite a small leap and similarly the band six to the band seven leap is is quite a small leap whereas i assume sort of leap from academy to first team is as you as you mentioned as you discussed quite a large leap almost like you sort of go in band five straight to band seven or band eight and it's it's almost trickier to to transition in that way yeah i think having a supportive team around you really helps if if you haven't got the right people around you it can make it a lot harder I, I think I've been very fortunate in my career to have supportive staff both medical staff and coaching staff that have allowed that transition to be quite smooth and quite um, seamless and it goes back to what Liam said at the beginning you need to have a, um, a practitioner or a person that you can rely on and trust in and have people that you can um, bounce ideas off and support each other through difficult times. As I've sort of grown through my career, I realise that people that you sometimes think are unapproachable because they've got this prestige in the in the profession. Sometimes you think they well they wouldn't respond to me, but it's, if you email them off their journal email address, some, they will get back to you with answers. And Twitter is a very approachable environment to get answers for things you're not sure on and any practitioner you've ever encountered in your line of work has knowledge and, and can form a network for you of support. Um, I know for myself, I'm still in contact with people on my BSc about clinical situations. I'm in contact with past and present people at Reading. I'm in contact with past employers in Stevenage and MK Dons and, and at uni. And so there's definitely help out there. If, even if you do feel like you're, you don't have anyone immediately close to you. And, um. We're going to move on to our, our, our next key question uh, now, which again is, is a tricky one. Um, it's looking at the world of research. And if you could only pick one key piece of research or one journal paper that's really resonated with you uh, or your career, what journal would it be uh, and why uh, have you chosen that journal? Yeah. 
yeah like you say very hard question because i think everything you read you can take something from both what you want to do what you don't want to do so i think the paper that i've sort of chosen represents maybe a change in my understanding um of a quite a significant topic for me which is pain and i think what both yourself and liam and me have both had the privilege of being under the guidance of adrian mallows at, at essex uni and he was a big change for me in, in my understanding of of pain and he sort of signposted me to a paper by Nikolai Bogduk in 2009 which the title of it I had to write down because I'm not very good with memory uh, on the definitions and physiology of back pain preferred pain and radicular pain and it's not a very in-depth article it's it's a, almost like a, a topic review it may be two pages long but what it did it opened my eyes to the, the symptom of pain and I think through my career as a BSc pain was always something that some people came to you with um, you'd ask where the pain was and that automatically related to where their injury site was and I think this paper helped me broaden my understanding and, and open my eyes to okay what is pain and why why are people experiencing pain and what this can this pain do for me to help them get better and if you look read it and if it's it opens up a massive array of other papers and places you can go um, and it shows me that once you start thinking you know stuff you really don't know it um, and the complexity of pain that people present with is complex hence the nature of it and I think that paper really changed my philosophy from a real biomedical um, approach to therapy and it opened my eyes to buy a psychosocial model. Um, so that paper resonates with me. And from there, it, it made me look into my research proposal and it's allowed me to read sort of Louis Gifford's work and explain pain and go on courses, no pain course by Mike Stewart and things like that. And it's, although I'm working in very acute pain, often we forget that chronic pain patients started with acute pain once upon a time and your influence on them can be significant and if you don't understand what it is that they're telling you then you can sometimes miss miss the boat yeah i think um a paper of that nature can very easily be misinterpreted uh, taken literally and applied only to that sort of chronic that back pain demographic um Whereas you can look at it more broadly, read around it, use it as that gateway paper, use it to, to change the way you think, transfer it in, into a number of different settings. Like I say, it doesn't have to be uh, just that chronic uh, long-term setting. It, it, you can utilise those principles, utilise that education in the acute settings. And it doesn't even have to be the, the, the way you uh, would explain or, or, or talk to your patients, talk to your players, it can be as simple as the way that you think things through and you select management and you select uh, treatment based on that, 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 that changed understanding. I don't, I don't work with too much chronic pain and yet that paper still, every time someone comes in front of me and they say they've got pain, it's not just that they've got a symptom of pain now, it's, well, why have they got that pain and what does that pain tell me about how I'm going to get this person better and does that pain give me any clues or any weight to my clinical reasoning as to what it is that this person is presenting with? And a lot of the pain I see is nociceptive pain, um, but nociceptive pain, again, can go off into different tangents and, and it's, it's not just a symptom. 
it's it's the main reason people come and see you but it's also an avenue into the management of that person yeah i think the most <clears throat> some of the most complex injuries that we'll see in our environment as well are the ones that you know have got that that background story probably are a bit more chronic i mean just off the top of my head, thinking back to a lot of the sort of chronic groin pain, like I say, that's, that started off as, as no septic pain, but the long-term management of it, everything behind that individual, their pathway behind the injuries, they're often the ones that manifest into a complex issue that causes the most problems, I think. I don't know whether, I don't know whether you'd agree in your experience, right? Yeah, sometimes you forget that you're working with either young players that want to be elite sportsmen or people that are elite sports people. and that for me has lots of psychosocial factors that can influence pain money career contract team pressure coach pressure uh, appearance all these things influence young people and and if you're treating a player like you say with acute groin pain these psychosocial factors can influence their presentation to you Okay, so final question, Ray. Won't keep you too much longer. I really appreciate what you've uh, what you put together for us there. It's going to be really valuable for the listeners. I've I've taken a lot from it. Just to get the final bit of reflection from you, really. What um, would you say if you could have done anything differently along the way? Is there anything that you would have changed? And then, is there anything that looking forward you are looking to sort of change in your next steps? Yeah. Um... Anything different is a hard one. I don't like to look back on a on a career with too much regret, but I think Matt raised a valuable point earlier about getting lots of experience from different disciplines or sports. Um, and although I have had experience in working in a bit of rugby, observing a bit of athletics and stuff, I, I, my like I said at the beginning, my bias has predominantly been football, and that that will narrow down your your field of vision. Um, so I think maybe expand into other sports where possible it's been difficult because i've always been working full-time however when i was doing just an area that potentially could have changed maybe was when i was doing my msc and i was working part-time at two different football clubs maybe they could have been different sports clubs or when i was working at stevenage and i went out and spent days at top level sports clubs to try and get a bit more a broader understanding of what the profession was about they could have been not football clubs so maybe looking back I might have done a bit more to try and expand there and obviously there's not not too late to do that um but just thinking to where I am now it's I've been very directed towards my role now whereas if I'd taken a more of a, a multi-sport approach maybe I might have been somewhere different um not to say that I regret where I am now but that might just be something that expands my knowledge and expands my clinical reasoning and gives me a bit more understanding um and then maybe with that, I suppose, comes if, you, if you're a quite a high-profile sports physiotherapy or in, in the profession, a lot of what people tend to have is a specialism towards a particular focus. That might be hamstrings. That might be psychosocial factors in pain. That might be hip and groin. And maybe that's something that I potentially could have expanded on. I could have taken an area and really delved deeper and and really focused on one particular thing however with that comes maybe a lack of depth in other areas as well so maybe those two things probably if anything but 
I, I, I don't think that that's too late to change that. I just think that maybe going back, that could have been something that I could have done differently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd say that's probably the same for a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of therapists out there. I think it's just it's it's been a topic of the whole conversation, really, isn't it? It's that that open mindedness and yeah, just maybe having a bit more of that at the start. I I definitely agree and feel the same that you could have just taken a few little opportunities like you say it's not changed too much it's ended up on our pathway going where we want that to go and ultimately that will happen for people that are driven for it like we've spoke about previously as well but yeah just that open-mindedness and then and then keeping that going forward I guess but no that's that's great I don't know if there's anything you want to add on to the end there Matt just just a quick one again to highlight something from the start of the conversation um, that I've handedly labelled as the triad of tips for getting into sports. Um, just to bring back up the the desire, the willingness to, to get experience and sort of realistic expectations slash expectations of glamour with, with, with not being too hard on yourself um, for a really person. So just wanted to... Uh, bring them up at the end of the conversation but as, as you said as well it's been largely the, top, the, the, the topic of the, the podcast today um, I think um, I would have uh, benefited from knowing that uh, at the start of my journey That concludes episode 2 of the Fry Physio podcast thank you very much to Ramon Holland for being our guest today really valuable episode and I hope everyone listening enjoyed that if you did, leave us a little comment or review wherever you're getting your podcasts and be sure to subscribe if you can. We look forward to having you on our next episode. Until then, if you haven't listened to episode one, head back and listen to our discussion with Steph. And until next time, thank you again for listening.